Hello, ladies, gents, and non-binary folk. You are listening to the Political This That podcast. I am your host, Anime, and join me every week as I sit down with a new guest and we talk all things politics and social justice. Welcome back to the Political This That podcast. We continue this series on political engagement and community activism with this week's guest, Ainsley Jeffrey. She is the founder of Being Our Future, a hub and space for young people to stay active in politics and social justice. I sat down with Ainsley and talked about the creation of Being Our Future, what it was like being viral on the internet, and the power and importance of social media. I hope you enjoyed this episode and let's get right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Political This That podcast. For this week's episode, I am joined by the lovely Ainsley. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this week's episode. So before we get into question period and the questions, I, of course, have to let the guests do their own bio. So tell the people your name, your pronouns, what you're studying, and a little bit about yourself. And a cool fact about yourself. Oh, okay. So my name is Ainsley. I am in second year of political science and communications. My pronouns are she and her. Originally from London, Ontario, but now in Ottawa for school. A fun fact. Okay. I have a twin brother. Really? Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. We're very opposite, but yeah. Okay. Like what school does your brother go to? He goes to Fanshawe College in London. Okay, so he stayed home, but you decided to go to Ottawa. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's so cool. Okay, so now we get into question period. So question period are just three questions that I like to ask every guest on each episode, just before we get into the real gist of the episode. So the first question for question period is, what is your favorite song at the moment? (laughs) Okay, I feel like I've been listening to a few like different artists instead Mm -hmm. of songs so I guess recently I've kind of been listening to Dreamville maybe my favorite song is Sacrifices right now Dreamville mm-hmm. and then a little bit of Taylor Swift with the fall weather that makes sense her, her softer stuff studying and yeah I don't know just chill music vibe right now I think Taylor Swift makes sense especially for this weather like it's just autumn weather and there's so many also like artists like similar to her like are coming out with like autumn fall weather music so I I think it's just the time to listen to her yes next question is what is your favorite place to grab food in both London Ontario and Ottawa since you've been in Ottawa for a little bit now in London okay London I'll do a coffee place I really love their reset social cafe it's downtown London on Talbot Street it's so good they have like the best London fogs I'm not a huge coffee person but London fogs tea so good and like it's such a cool like building as well so it's really nice and Ottawa I was vegetarian for a really long time Mm -hmm. so Ottawa has the green door which is really good I had it a few years ago when I was in Ottawa so being here it's like nice to be able to try it again Okay, and then our next question is, what's your favorite class you've taken so far in uni and why? So like I mentioned, I'm studying communications and political science, but last year I took this kinesiology class called Mm -hmm. Sociology of Sport, and I really liked it because it kind of tied the sports industry to social issues and the community, and I'm really interested in that and like sports, the sports industry, sports media. So that was really cool because it kind of ties like a passion of like social justice mm-hmm. to the sports industry. So that was that was a really cool class. I think people don't understand that. Like, not they don't understand, but social justice is in so many industries. And it's not just like policy or politics or governments, like even sports. You see like with the NFL, you see with NBA, you see with the NHL. So it's so cool to see the connection between social justice, like Black Lives Matter and HIV, AIDS epidemic and connecting it back to sports because it's so it's so crucial. And I think it's a foundation for a lot of these athletes. It's like I'm an athlete. Yes, I play the sport, but also there's issues that are going on that affect me or affect the community. So I, I like that kind of classes. Yeah, it's also cool. It was awesome. I did my final project on whether athletes should be political because people always say like 
keep politics out of sports Mm -hmm. so my final project was like studying different athletes and like the political change that they've made over time and stuff so that was really cool because I feel like that's an argument all the time I see it all the time on like Twitter yeah especially over the last year Mm -hmm. with the pandemic with um like the election with um Black Lives Matter so many athletes were like using their voice and um I don't think people realize just like how much of a role model for change they can really be so it's really cool and last question is this is a question this is a new question I like to ask guests um because this is a political podcast and you talk about politics social justice and we also live in Canada I like to ask you if you were prime minister if you're elected prime minister of Canada today what's the first thing you would do or what's the first yeah what's the first thing you would do or the first bill that you would try to pass be serious it could be goofy it could be anything okay I'll do serious because I feel like this is an issue that I've been seeing a lot and I really would love to see mandated Uh is clean water in indigenous territory I it's been I I just can't fathom how many people don't have access to clean water and specifically indigenous people how they're neglected by the government for so long for a basic access right where if say it was like Ottawa if my community didn't have clean water it would be addressed so Mm -hmm. quickly so it's that's definitely something another thing would be this might be controversial I don't know I guess it's a debatable topic but like maybe the argument for mandated voting mandatory voting I I don't know how my opinion fully lies out in that but I think that would be something that I would consider if elected prime minister Mm, that's an interesting area the first one you said about clean water I definitely agree with you if you look at it right now I believe the capital of none of it like their water has gasoline like they're in the state state of emergency and it's just so true like we live in a we're a g7 country we have access to clean water internet all of those kind of things and it's unfathomable that indigenous communities do not have clean drinking water and if they do like like they're maybe they do or I don't know it's just it's unfathomable to me to think that there are people who do not have clean water in this country or generally in the whole world but specifically in this country a country that prides itself you know uh, being a good country and being there for its people but like the people that need the most they don't have water and the second point you made about voting, I think that's an interesting point too, because a lot of people, it, I won't say it's 100% controversial, but it does, it's a, a debatable topic. Some people really think that, you know, voting is a right, you know, if I choose not to vote, that's great. And some people are just like, you know, you need to vote. So I think that's a, that's interesting. I like those two. Now we've done question period. We're going to go into the main questions of this episode. So if you guys didn't know, Ms. Ainsley, she was the creator of Being Our Future. So I'm going to interview her and ask her a couple of questions about Being Our Future, why did she create it? And we're also going to be talking about political engagement on this episode, especially considering that we just had a federal election a couple months ago, and we're about to have a provincial election in Ontario in the next year. So first question, Ms. Ainsley, is what is Being Our Future for people who aren't aware, who don't know? Sure. So Being Our Future was that initiative I created a few years ago, 2018. And the mission of it was to engage young people, specifically young Canadians, in civic, social activism, and awareness with a focus on Canadian politics. The platform that was created with Being Our Future is mainly digital, and I tried to draw on users through different resources, posts, articles, sharing different opportunities. I really tried to take like a storytelling lens, I guess, in addition to education. So one of my favorite aspects was the World Changer Weekly section, which shared the story of a young change maker each week. Mm-hmm. And that ranged from like a plus size dancer challenging stereotypes or young teens who wrote children's books to highlight or to raise funds for sex slavery survivors. So I really loved being able to share the work of other youth to highlight their achievements, but also inspiring others through that. It ran for about two and a half, almost three years. And the project kind of wrapped up after the 2019 federal election. You kind of touched a little bit about it, but what in you to say, okay, this is something that needs to be created. And what really brought forth being our future? Was it a specific moment or was it just an idea that you've had for a while that wanted it to come to light? Yeah, so I when I was in grade nine which was right after 
about a year after the federal election in 2015, Mm -hmm. I joined my member of parliament's youth council. And a few months later, I went to Ottawa with the Forum for Young Canadians, which is kind of like a civic opportunity for young people to get fully immersed in politics and learn about government for a week in the capital. And those two experiences were super enlightening because I started noticing that there were a lot of other young people around me who cared about social issues. And there was also a large part of young people who were interested in government or social change, but didn't really know where to go to find more information, didn't know how to become more engaged. So I started being our future to hopefully kind of change that and challenge the notion that young people were ignorant of politics and hoping mm-hmm. that more stakeholders and politicians and community members would take younger opinions more seriously. The name Being Our Future came about from a speech by the prime minister he gave, where he talked about young people as not just the leaders of tomorrow, but the leaders of today. And so Being Our Future was hoping to say that the young young people aren't just the future, but they're being the future every second of the day that they're, you know, trying to make a change by educating themselves. So they aren't just the future later, they can be right now. So that was kind of why I started it and wanted to make a platform like that. Mm-hmm. Me and Ainsley met, we first met when we did Mall Parliament at Queen's Park together. That's how I know her. And it was just interesting too. And when you're talking about Forum for You Canadians, I felt the same way at Mall Parliament. It was like a hundred, around a hundred of us in Ontario presenting like the, all the writings in Ontario. And it just felt like, wow, it's like young people who are care about politics, who care about government. And it's very interesting to see and this rhetoric about young people that don't care about politics and government. I think it's fake news to, in other <laughs> words. Because when I look at social media and look at so many social justice movements, they're all started by young people. I'm not even talking about ones from our generation, like, you know, gun control in America, Black Lives Matter. I'm even talking about, if you look in history, look at the history books, you look at the HIV AIDS epidemic, that was led by a lot of young people. If you look at like the Black Panther Party, for instance, a lot of young people in that party, if you even look at the Vietnam War and the protests against it, it was led by young people. So this rhetoric that young people don't care about politics is definitely incorrect. I do think platforms like Being Our Future and this podcast and other platforms where young people can come on and really talk and engage with these issues are so important. That's why I'm so happy that you ha- you created this platform because it is important for young people to feel have a space to talk about these issues because sadly, politicians don't always hear our stories or hear or give us the chance to talk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of young organizations and young leaders are sometimes like framed in history the wrong way. Like, uh-huh. Some of the examples you gave it's framed in a way to try to like take away from what they did take away from the impact that they really made and I I want in like 60 years when I'm like 80 to look <laughs> back and have like young people's narratives not be demeaned over time because people felt like they shouldn't be taken seriously like there's so many young change makers who are doing incredible things things that adults aren't even doing because they're passionate about it and I I just really want to see that change over time that young leadership can be taken just as seriously as any other type of organization 100% another cool thing about being our future is that during the 2019 election there's an infograph from being our future that basically went viral I remember seeing it all over and I was like wait I know the person who created that that's easy like it was so cool to see that and basically the infographs were talking about the political parties the political leaders at that time during the election so Justin Trudeau Andrew Scheer Jagmeet Singh Elizabeth May remember everybody sharing it during the election season so how did you feel when you saw that your infographs went viral and everybody was basically sharing it like how how do you think the impact made both for you and both for the election yeah it was definitely a unique experience (laughs) so The infographic and the 2019 federal election campaign was pretty much the last real kind of project or campaign that Being Our Future did. Mm -hmm. And that's to the help of Bayan, who was another, who was a team member 
on being our future during that time. She did some like amazing work during that time and really put a lot of effort into trying to like pump out amazing resources for like people who are going to be voting for the first time or wanted to know about what the parties were doing in relation to young people. So that was and like a lot of credit to Bayan during that time. The infographic, it was shared like half a million times on Instagram through like story reposts. I remember the day it went viral, it was because Six Buzz had reposted it on their Instagram. And I just remember seeing it shared on like a ton of people's stories and being like, this is really weird because I made this and a lot of people don't even know <laughs> and I made it. But that's kind of like the point is that it was about the infographic and it was a little overwhelming because it's really nice to see something you work towards being like shared and hopefully like with the intention of being our future was always to help educate people and help engage people and seeing people share it. It was really encouraging but it also allowed me to see like firsthand how divisive politics really can be like looking at the especially, on six bus, especially on six bus oh my god sit like i read through the comments on six buzz of the repost and i also looked on the comments on our own post and it was like it was intense for a while and being our future was never a partisan platform mm-hmm. the infographic was just literally like 10 slides the five party leaders had two sides each and it just broke down like the main points of their campaign platform and that was basically like what the whole infographic was it was just like hey the election's in like two weeks and you have no idea what you're voting for and these are the five party leaders you that are running in the five major parties and this is what they stand for and it was a really umbrella post like it wasn't specific it was it didn't encompass everything and but I think that's also maybe part of the reason why making informative posts for people like that is better because mm-hmm. no one wants to read the like liberal party's 300 page election outline or mm-hmm. no one has time for that and it's not very interesting to almost everyone so it did help me also think about how to like market politics towards young people, uninformed people, people who never cared before. I think social media has really allowed for young people who have never really cared before to mm-hmm. really be able to care. And so that's, um, I think that makes social media a great tool for showing change. But that was a really interesting experience. And I can say, honestly, you, because of your infograph from the 2019 election, that kind of inspired, like, this podcast and myself to do one for the 2021 election. Because, like, you're talking about, like, nobody has the time to look through all the platforms. Like, even when I was preparing the infograms for each party, I was looking at it, I was trying to condense it into slides and trying to make it as appealing to the eye. But it was a lot. Like, each... I gave yeah. each party, I did the four main parties. So I did the Green Party, the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, and the NDP. And each infograph consists of the, the first slide was essentially like the party and their platform or their slogan for the election. And then one consisted of like the political leader. And then I tried to break it down of the five main categories. So affordability, healthcare, education, indigenous rights, and COVID-19 relief. For some parties, it was hard to condense it. And even for affordability, I even made four subcategories. So that was education, that was seniors, that was, there's two other ones under affordability, but just to condense all that information and try to make it appealing so young people can see it. Not even just young people, people in general, because like you said, not everybody can look through look through the platforms. Like the platforms are long, like the so infographs like that and what you did for the 2019 election are very helpful because it helps young people who again are mainly on social media who really are trying to learn about politics because yes we all took civics in grade 10 but civics wasn't as education or at, like we just took civics to take mm-hmm. civics and then you know you're 20 you're 18 19 preparing your, for your first federal election you're just like okay what do i vote for who do i vote for and because we're in this social media frenzy it's kind of like people are kind of being told okay you vote for this party or this party says this or this party says that and it's just kind of like this overwhelming storm of information sometimes this information can be 
exaggerated it can be false so that's why infographs like what you did and why platforms like what being our future was helps young people especially during election time because election time is so overwhelming you have a lot of politicians saying this this and the next thing and it's just you need some type of place that's unbiased and that's just giving you information and regardless of what you what however you take that information you vote accordingly i personally will not try to tell people like what, who to vote for but i try to give those infographs as unbiased as possible and try to be like okay this is what the party actually stands for and this is what they are and if you don't believe me at the end of each like slide i put like the source was mclean's and like the party uh, on the party website so like people can see like okay this is actually where it's coming from not just me thinking of it on the top of my head yeah of course i remember seeing your posts about the election they were super great resources and another really good platform was the on canada project mm -hmm. yes. some amazing resources and i happened to know sam who created that through a past experience and she's amazing and how she shares resources i think I think we'll touch on this probably a bit later about online activism, but I mm -hmm. think they do it really well. And I think their model for infographics and sharing topics is an, a really amazing way that they do it. I think like what you mentioned, having it unbiased is really important and it, it would be so easy for a platform like Being Our Future, like any online page, to share information wrongly and try to influence people, which is why I think sometimes it can get a bad rep just because you really can share anything online. You so can. I do think that people should take infographics and posts like that with a grain of salt because mm -hmm. when I made the, that infographic, I never wanted anyone to base their vote solely on that 10 slide. Mm -hmm page they could see like I I really believe in like doing your own research aside from posts you see like that 100% and as we're talking about being your future you did say that it was a project that you had for two about two years what made you really decide to stop being our future and because you stopped do you ever see yourself doing something similar or creating something similar to being your future again yeah honestly being your future I just felt like it kind of burned out and like ran its course there were like a variety of reasons like having like my own burnout and having like a lack of time and not really being focused on it and I think part of it is that I kind of lost the vision for what I was doing and that it started to feel not very meaningful when I first started being your future there weren't really a lot of digital spaces for youth in politics like there weren't as many Instagram pages and infographics weren't really shared the same I think being our future started before like you could even share Instagram stories like I remember when Instagram stories happened yeah it was like a huge deal and I think being our future launched before that even did so like the whole like Instagram sherry storing thing wasn't a thing then and over time that obviously has changed which I think is amazing but I I think near the end of when I stopped running being our future I felt like there were a lot of other people and organizations doing what I was doing, but I thought it would be better to support the other organizations than continuing with my own initiative. Like they, like the On Canada project, I think obviously there's like some ethics and intersectionality. And I just wanted to support other organizations because I think it can get really like read it thin because there's so many people doing the same type of work we kind of talked about this I guess but like the whole digital activism I had started to kind of take digital space for granted instead of actually like doing the work and I didn't want being our future to be enforcing digital activism and like armchair activism where people think they're doing a lot but really all they're doing is like sharing a post yeah because social media can be an amazing tool I I always take like the side of social media I think it can really do amazing things but there obviously are some negativities and I do think that um there is a line where social media isn't helpful anymore for sparking change like it has to go beyond that and I feel like being our future wasn't anymore 
and I, I didn't want to keep on enforcing that narrative. No, I, I get, I get that. And I, we're going to kind of talk about it a little questions, but it is social media is a tool and such a good tool. And it's allowed young people to have the space to talk about what they care about, what's for them. But at the same time, so social media has been used as a tool to um, a performative activism like you said people just posting and people sharing and thinking that's like doing work and don't get me wrong that helps to you're bringing awareness to it but what are you doing off the screen like okay yes you posted about it but what are you doing off the screen are you having these conversations with your friends are you actually like reading are you actually educating yourself or are you just basing it off of uh, infograph and infographs can be used well like the ones for elections and the ones we talked about but what are you doing after that and it does like you said, just to have that question. Another thing social media is, it's also being it's also being used to, you know, give out fake news or give out, you know, not not giving out the whole picture for it. So I, what you're talking about is very, very important. And I like how you're able to acknowledge that you felt that at a time being our future, you felt like it was, you weren't doing enough or you just felt like it was just focused on the digital space. And you felt like, like that you can acknowledge that, you know, you came to a conclusion that with, the digital space and with being your future, it didn't feel as authentic anymore. And I'd like that you're able to acknowledge that. And like you said, a lot of people are doing the work. A lot of, there's a lot of people who are using, are creating platforms like that. And it can be overwhelming too. And if you, and not you specifically, but anyone feels as though like what they're doing is not authentic or they're not, they're not feeling true to themselves, then of course you can, you know, step aside from it. And like you said, there's other, there's so many platforms. Yeah, they really do. And like they, I know it started as like the on COVID project to try to like break that, um, the false narratives that were spread around COVID and share resources and like help people decipher like how many different pieces of information and knowledge was being shared at that time. And they've transitioned now to be like a more um, holistic lens of different social issues in Canada. And I think that, yeah, they have an excellent model of how they share information and how they do it and the research that goes into one single infographic is incredible and I think I think that they are really a platform that any like person who wants to stay educated should check out. We've talked about being our future so now I'm going to ask into more questions about political engagement but my first question for her is we just had a federal election 2021. It was the shortest I think it was one of the shortest elections ever called it was called middle of August and Justin Trudeau went into the election with a minority government with about 155 seats and the election results were a minority government with the liberals with approximately, I think, about the same amount of seats, 157. So he, I think he only gained about three seats. Your personal opinion on this election? I honestly wasn't surprised it was called because being a minority government, I mean, they typically don't last the full time anyways. But I did think that the timing was super unconventional because of the pandemic and almost the entirety of the past like government that was formed aside from like six months was during the pandemic. And I do think that the government's, you know, done some noteworthy things over that time, like serve and but I just I find it difficult to like agree with having an election when your result isn't even better and you just during the pandemic it just didn't really seem like first election I was allowed to vote in yes um, yes 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 how so was that as well voting how um, was which that? Was exciting I went I went to go vote quite early because I was leaving for school so I went to vote in the elections Canada office like the first weekend of September like really early so you voted for you voted for the writing in london not ottawa correct yes so i voted back in london ariel kayabaga she is the mp elect there for the liberal party and she was a city councillor in mm-hmm. london and i had met her around the same time as the last federal election so 2019 and she um she's like a tremendous woman and uh, we had her as a guest on this episode back in black history month she's amazing yeah she's she's really incredible um and i'm really thankful to be working with her for her youth council right now um the same youth council i joined when i was like in grade nine so that's really exciting to like be helping run that it's hard to sum up 
how you feel about an election when like it didn't feel that meaningful I felt like it barely even happened I forget um, that happened to be honest sometimes. I was I was really busy with work like working full-time in the summer and then mm-hmm. transitioning to school that I personally really didn't follow it too much like I did my research and I followed the local candidates but even the debates I felt were super lackluster in 2019 they had like I don't know I felt like they did a lot more to mm-hmm. engage people with the process and this year it just kind of was like Trudeau trying to rush through an election so that he could um you know form government again and all the other parties trying to like take advantage of a potentially vulnerable time but mm-hmm. it just kind of ended with the same result I knew there's an election going to be called because like um Insta said minority governments don't last and I was talking to my friends they're just like oh I can't believe like I remember seeing it back in the summertime like early in the summertime like oh yeah an election is probably going to be called so I'm just like hey why is that and even when Justin Trudeau called the election I had to explain to people like minority governments don't last the four it will not last the full four years I think the longest minority governments have ever lasted is probably about two years and to be honest the only reason why Justin the only reason why an election wasn't called earlier was because of the pandemic um I do think that if you look at this is the most expensive election this was half um, yeah. half a billion dollars 600 if i'm not mistaken 600 million dollars and like that money can go towards i don't know clean water for indigenous people free education better health care and we wasted it with the same result i do think it was forced um like i said i knew the election was going to be called i make this joke all the time when justin trudeau went from having his quarantine beard to him being freshly shaved, I was like, an election's being called very soon. Also, no, yeah. I, yeah, yes. as soon as I saw yes. that, I remember coming home from work and telling my dad, and we were laughing about it, yep. about that. Yeah. I was um, like, he means business now. So I was like, I know that was coming. And then when the gov- we had we didn't have a governor general for like about seven months. So then when Justin Trudeau decided, okay, we're going to have a governor general now, I'm like, okay, an election's being called soon. I anticipated it was going to be 2022, been the most cohesive session of parliament i think ever to be honest because of the pandemic they had no choice but to, to work together and the, another thing was that no political party was trying to trigger an election i also have to be aware that you know there's been more representation in terms of the lgbtq community the black community and other minority and other marginalized communities yes 100 percent, that's amazing but at the same time you know was an election needed to be called when we're still dealing with the fourth wave when we're dealing with you know vaccine passports and we're dealing with all of that I don't think it was needed to be called and quite frankly because we're in the same exact spot I told everybody okay we're going to be back to the voting polls in about 18 months like yeah. in about 20 at the maybe at the end of next year 2023 we're going to be back in the exact same spot and it could have been avoided yeah it will be good that they go back to a new session and it'll be interesting to see what um the prime minister does with the newly elected cabinet mm-hmm. um and like you mentioned representation how that how that all falls into place i guess with his decision it will be interesting to see and also interesting to see how they lie out their priorities and how they um what they stress in their throne speech mm-hmm. and the mandate, the throne speech that they give during the first session or the first sitting of the house that kind of sets the tone for their government. Um, that will be, I think, enlightening into what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I like trying to look past COVID. Look, post now we're also preparing for another election. We have a, the Ontario provincial election in about six, not six months, about like nine months in June of 2022. What are your expectations? What are you looking forward to? Because now we actually have a proper election. Again, it hasn't been like called officially yet, but it's coming. You know, I've seen candidates preparing for it. What yeah. do you hope to see the Ontario provincial election? Yeah, it's interesting to like, you can already start to tell that parties are like ramping towards an election. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe my least favorite part about an election year is that the focus that's put on it, it feels like almost the whole like year before an election, it's kind of wasted because parties are so focused on mm-hmm. the election. I think Ontario is less clear cut than maybe the past federal election was like I think you could make a pretty good judgment on how the results of the federal election was going to be where Mm -hmm. the Ontario election could potentially end up in a more unpredictable place um exactly because you would think that 
again, I know everyone has their own views, but you would think that, you know, considering how the current Ontario government has handled the pandemic, you would think, okay, the, the chances of them being reelected is slim. But again, we don't know until election day and anything could happen. And, you know, as of right now, like you're talking about, the year before an election is kind of buttering up everybody. So the opposition parties are preparing to take over. And then the current government is trying to, you know, pass bills, trying to make them seem, make themselves seem more favorable for the population in order to get the kind of like a waste, like you said, or just kind of very performative. It's like, I don't really care. I'm just trying to do whatever I can for the next election. And you're not caring about currently, you're just thinking about the election afterwards, which is interesting to think about. Yes, I'm also interested to see because obviously in this past federal election, I think we saw a rise of like further right candidates Mm -hmm. um, on the spectrum. And I am interested to see what Doug Ford and the um, PC party does with that if they try to create certain policies that are trying to gain the votes of those people. Um, Like I know he announced this past week about hoping to have like all COVID procedures and um, like vaccine passports and social distancing and all those like the mass mandate out by March 2022. I saw that and I immediately thought before an election that was my first thing I was like this man is doing what he can to prepare for the election do I think we need to be having masks from March I don't know but he's trying to win people over again yeah I definitely do think that because really in Ontario the PC party is where pretty much all the conservatives really go towards and we saw that in 2019 when the people's party came to be and like split votes from the conservative party. I think Doug Ford might be trying to compensate for that and wanting to um, maintain uh, the conservative vote so that he can win a majority because obviously that's what they're all trying to do. Um, It's just, I don't want to be in a place where it feels so like dehumanized. Where he's splitting um, real people's like, lives that are affected by these policies um just to win a certain vote give me elections are more so i'm creating policies half the time more so just because not because they actually care just because i know that this is what people want and i know if i give people what they want i'll get elected which is kind of it's backwards thinking considering what, what government is supposed to do is supposed to serve the people and if the people if government is just self-serving and only caring about itself, then it, it's really defeating the purpose. And we elect these people into office because we want them to help us. We want them to put in policies to make our lives better. We're trusting them with these things. And then when you have governments be, becoming so self-serving, it defeats the purpose and it leads to people feeling distrusted and disengaged with the system, which is not what we want at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The last, I guess, thing about the upcoming election that I'm intrigued to follow along with is with COVID potentially like procedures being on the outs going forward and especially nearing the election, how the campaign will look different because that was one thing about the last federal election is that you couldn't really campaign the same way you were used to Mm -hmm. because of COVID. And so um, it will be interesting to see how that falls with COVID um, hopefully not sticking around for too much longer. Mm-hmm. So, we kind of talked about this earlier, but it was like social media and political engagement. Because of the past like federal election, there was more of a switch in how to campaign. Like you just said, you had to more so campaign digitally. Like there are still people, you know, physically canvassing, but that had to be place at a hold because of COVID procedures. So now that we're moving forward, especially post-COVID and social media beca- social media being so active in our lives, how do you think that campaigning will change in the future and campaigning, engagement, how do you think politicians are going to maneuver that? Do you think that they're going to use it to their advantage or do you think they're going to struggle with it? I Well, I definitely think that politicians need to understand the importance of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, especially older politicians. I think that social media can be used in a really positive way to like engage. And there's examples of politicians who have used social media to engage with certain audiences. Like, like Jagmeet Singh. Um, Jagmeet Singh and TikTok 
a lot of people don't understand it because like my parents, they would probably not understand what Mm -hmm. he was doing, but like people aren't understanding that he's catering to a very specific audience. And I think it worked in a sense, obviously he didn't win, but I think he reached a ton of people who wouldn't have been reached otherwise by doing that. And I think, um, that by recognizing what social media can do for you, politicians are way better off. I think that they really need to work on reaching that audience better and reaching their different constituents regardless of like, I think that sometimes social media is neglected um, or only used in a very certain way. And I think there's a lot more potential that hasn't been, that's like going untapped right now with it because you can use it to engage, educate. It doesn't have to be so serious where I feel like a lot of politicians are still so serious about yeah. everything. And I understand it. it is serious, but social media can be a really easy way to simply just like get to young people. Um, because even if you're getting to young people who won't vote this time, they might next time and um, or they might be able to vote next time where they they are underage for this election. But um, I see that a lot, even just in the community where older folks don't reach out to young people or older politicians don't reach out to their constituents um, that are younger because they might not be able to vote for them yet, but they will sometime in the next like decade and they still matter by living in your constituency so sharing a part of a campaign with young people is really important and I think young people like I know Ariel her team was made up of a ton of young people over this past election because they care and they want to do something and get engaged and Ariel is really good at utilizing her social platform and it makes it just so much easier for young people to get engaged and feel welcome in that space. Young people make up the largest voting bloc currently as we speak in Canada so when politicians don't engage with young people, and I, for one of my classes this semester, I wrote an LPAD about how young people are, like how politicians are not focused on young people. And yes, we're not the only demographic, but we're the demographic that is is dealing with the current situation and that's gonna be dealing with the future generation and the future situations. Like we're in a climate crisis, we're dealing with expensive housing, unaffordability, education getting higher, our recession is probably on the is coming soon. Social media and everything, and nobody's really prioritizing us, or we're just mainly an afterthought. And the thoughts are always towards adults. Now, I'm not saying that you know don't focus on adults. I'm just saying that there are other demographics that you need to focus on. And my hope is that going forward, not even with the provincial election, but just going forward, generally speaking, is that politicians start to listen to young people and not just be performative with them. Like I like having youth camps. So the prime minister. When he first got elected, um, he created a youth council. Every I know mostly every um, MP, they have a youth council. And that's just one way of engaging people. Because yes, just because I can't vote doesn't mean I don't have a voice. Doesn't mean I don't care. Doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to voice to my MP the issues that I have or voice to the prime minister or any political party. This is what uh, this is the issues I'm seeing that I would like to be addressed. I do think that politicians need to do a way better job of engaging with young people. The kind of discussion we're trying to we've been having for this episode is how will politicians or how should politicians engage with young people? And we should be a focus and there should be more focus on us. This rhetoric that young people don't care. When you don't engage with them, they will they will stop to care. They'll be like, why would I put myself or put energy into this, into politics, into government when my voice doesn't matter? They don't care about me. And then what you're gonna see is young people starting to get disengaged. And those young people now are gonna be, you know, 20, 30 year olds with families with, you know, contributing to society again, and they're not gonna to wanna to vote. What are you gonna do then? It's a thing that needs to be talked about more. And it's not only this episode, I hope this episode does start the conversation, especially now that the new session of parliament is starting, that politicians need to focus more on young people. Absolutely. I agree with all of that. Um, <laughs> politicians just need to, they can just straight up ask and then listen to young people. That's like, you can always ask a young person how they feel about an issue, mm-hmm. because even if it's not directly re- related to a youth issue, they're still allowed to have an opinion on it. Like, um, housing 
yes for example like they (laughs) young people don't always have to talk about youth issues they can talk about all issues because their voice is just important in that conversation and valid than any other constituent so I really hope yeah with this new session of parliament we're seeing that more and more that young voices are just continued to be amplified brought into political spaces and really really listened to not just in a tokenistic way but Mm -hmm. really meaningful and last, well, second last question before we end up this episode is, we kind of touched about this earlier, but I want to ask, when it comes to political activism, what do you think needs to be done better on social media to make activism more authentic and more real? I think kind of like two folds to that question is that you need to take, like what we said earlier, you need to take it with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. do a bit of research on your own about any issue you can't rely that's for anything. You can't rely on one source to be um, a whole educator on any certain topic. And um, you can't just rely on digital space to be where you stream all your passion about an issue too. There's so many things to be done offline and it's not just for on like, it's not just for online clout or online, <laughs> like popularity. Yeah, I feel like people reshare stuff to their story just because um, they don't want to be seen as the person who didn't Mm -hmm. rather than truly caring about it. And I know a ton of people who never share anything on social media about social issues, but do more work in the community than many other people. So I think it can really, um, it has to go beyond just your your story. But that's not to say you can't post on your story, you can't tweet about it, but that shouldn't be the only thing you do when you care about something. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I can use an example of like last year with Black Lives Matter and everybody was posting a black square, like, oh, blackout day. And it was just like, okay, you're you're putting, you're posting that just because you're posting that. I, I'll be honest, like I posted that and I archived my post because I was like, okay, I don't see, I feel like it was kind of performative, but also like it's a cause that is near dear to my heart. And it's not just something I just see on social media, not applied to my real life, but it's also during that time last year, just so interesting to see the discussions about it and just to see some people who, A, they posted about it, um, but I know probably in real life, like they do not care that much about Black Lives Matter or, or people who didn't post. And to me, sometimes I looked at that, I was just like, again going off what you said like you can't you know focus so much on social media posts but for me as a black person to see some people who I know or meetings I know don't post about it at all and this was during COVID when like we're all stuck in our houses and to be honest if you weren't engaged with it there, like there's no way you would you were not engaged with Black Lives Matter in some way or some capacity but just seeing yeah. how some people did not post it kind of makes me feel like okay like you don't care or I just know that like your aesthetic or whatever doesn't matter when we're talking about black bodies being killed by police each and every day and black people still fighting to be acknowledged as people and you're not posting about it or you're not making some type of you know stand for it or stand against it you know the systemic racism that black people are going through I can just see that okay you know I have to you don't care about the cause so like you said it's a twofold because at one point you don't want to make your whole aesthetic or you know you just you're this social media activist but in real life, you don't do anything, but at the same time, it's like, if you're not posting, or you're not engaging to some degree, it makes it seem like you do not care. And I do think that people try not to be so political these days, but everything's political. Everything is rooted in some sort of politics, government, social justice. So for you to be, that's a privileged thing to say Like I don't, you know, I'm above it all to say I'm not political is a privileged thing. And I don't think that, that's a luxury that not everyone can be afforded. To. Everyone's political to something, and to some degree, I think that you need to display in whatever capacity about it. And you just can't be mute on these issues. You actually have to voice voice it out and speak on it. I agree 100%. It's absolutely a privilege to think that politics doesn't matter to you. And it's just really ignorant when people say that. It's not to say that every person has to like aspire to be the prime minister and make change. It just means you need to add a bit of perspective to your life (laughs) 100 percent. and as we end this episode 
I always ask every guest at the end of each episode, what is one thing that is not talked about in mainstream media that you believe deserves more attention? And this is kind of a question that I want every, I ask every guest too, because there's so many things that are happening that I am not aware of or other people are not aware of. And with the platform I have, I want to make sure that I can have the power to educate people on other things that they might not know about. Yeah, I, the way I guess I, approach this question in my head is that there's a lot of things that are talked about in media but there's a lot of certain narratives that aren't shared and like recognizing whose voice isn't really broadcasted behind all those narratives I think media needs to be recognizing of who's being amplified Mm -hmm. and not just sharing a very certain image of the person they want specifically like youth in the media when there's like a youth-led movement it's normally like a well-off middle class upper class white able-bodied cis gender person who's of like the forefront of that because that's like what they think people want to see and it's I think media needs to not be so streamlined in their narrative of who who is important in sharing the story you know I don't know if that is making sense you're basically saying um giving voice to the voiceless and making sure that media prioritizes or gives space for other communities to talk about things and not just using or if we're talking about diversity you don't have a white cisgendered man talk about diversity they're talking about diversity make sure you're having marginalized communities, people from the LGBT community, people from the Black community, women, people from, you know, other communities, make them the forefront and make sure that you're prioritizing and making sure that their voices are being heard. The same way you're allowing a white cisgender man talk about whatever issues that he's talking about. Yes, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. Well, and so that's the end of this episode. I am so thankful that you decided to sit down with me and talk about political engagement, being your future, and all and everything in between. I hope you guys learned something from this episode. I will leave Ainsley's social media in the description box or in the text box and also link to being our future because even though it's not active, the resources are still there so you can still check it out. Um, Ainsley, any final words? Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and an honor and... I really appreciate it. And that is this week's episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and make sure to check out the description box for all things mentioned in this episode. Also, make sure to follow us at the PTT Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to stay engaged in all things politics and social justice. My name is Anime. This is the Political This That Podcast. Until next time, bye.